Welcome to Sanity, a podcast to help you keep yours in today's divisive political climate. I'm your host, Audrey Scagnelli, and I hope you'll join me in this quest for optimism in a post-2016 world. This week's episode is with Lauren Leader, the co-founder and CEO of All In Together, which is a nonpartisan organization that's on a mission to helping women be active in civic and political life in America, regardless of party identification. All In Together's founding sponsors include Boeing, Deloitte, Facebook, EY, and a more recent partnership with Gretchen Carlson. Lauren is a Democrat, and she is passionate about seeing more women, regardless of party, be more involved in the entire political process. Lauren, to kick off our conversation, I would really love to hear a little bit about your background and what led you to co-found All In Together. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. A couple things. I spent a lot of my professional career working on diversity issues in corporate America and ran a think tank and a consulting firm that worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies on those issues. And what started to become clear to me after spending countless hours with professional women's networks and at conferences and, you know, with sort of the tens of thousands of women around the country who over the last 15 years have started to really stand up and push for gender equity at work, one of the things that became really clear was that in all of those conversations, everywhere I went in the country, no one was talking about political equity as even a piece of the puzzle to gender equity overall. And it really jumped out at me, especially when when it became clear that Hillary Clinton was going to run for president. This is back in 2014. But also even when Lean In came out that, you know, there were millions of women who bought that book who were talking about gender equity. But, you know, there was not a word in the entire book about political power. And that just seemed crazy to me. And as I looked at the numbers and I looked at where the United States was relative to the rest of the world, it really struck me that there was a problem. Even way back in 2014, the United States was 51st in the world for women's political equity. And when you looked at the countries around the world that had the most gender equity in the workplace, these were also places that had really high political power. So Iceland and the Nordics and other places. So it was clear to me that there was a link between women in power in politics and women in power in business. So we found it all together on this simple idea that we needed more women to step up and participate. And at that point, you know, people weren't even really talking about it. It was not even registering as a topic for women, certainly my age and younger. And obviously, a lot has changed in the last few years. All In Together is specifically a nonpartisan organization, which is something that I admire and respect being someone who worked in Republican politics for Kathy McMorris Rogers, who was the most powerful yeah. Republican in, in Congress for a while, and then yep. for Carly Fiorina, who, of course, was, yep. was the other woman running for yep. president back in 2016. Absolutely. So how... I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I you know, look, here's what I think. So part of why we did this is that when we looked around at what was happening for women, it was clear that, first of all, that there was this, like, massive gap in civics education, which was driving one of the main... It was the main issue that was keeping women out of participating politically. Our premise was is that if you want people to participate and you want people to learn and get interested, you can't have a litmus test for that. And if you believe in women's equity, you have to believe in that even for women that you don't necessarily agree with. And when I looked around at the agency and impact of women's organizations around the country, what struck me 
is that actually many of them in some ways had undermined their ultimate ability to make make change because they were partisan and that there were a lot of women who wanted to find ways to participate without always having a litmus test for that entrance point. So, you know, our view is that it, we're not asking people to not be partisan. I mean, everyone has opinions and they should. And, you know, that's fair. What we are saying is that partisanship should not be a requirement for learning. And so we've committed to creating a safe space where all women are welcome, no matter who they are or what they believe or where they come from, so that we can empower those women with the knowledge and the tools that they need to step up and participate in the political process. And, and in the process of that, because we have a bipartisan board and you know because we do bring women of both parties to the table anytime we do anything, we do hope that it expands people's perceptions around partisanship, expands their view, um, helps them learn that you know not everybody who you disagree with is a terrible person uh, and that there are a lot of ways in which people can disagree uh, on some things but also agree on others. And I think Carly Fiorina is a great example of that. There are many things that I, as a liberal woman, don't agree with Carly Fiorina on, but you can't argue with the fact that Carly Carly believes in gender equity and, you know, fought really hard for her own position of leadership and dealt with all kinds of gender bias when she ran for president and, frankly, when she was CEO. Like, these are things that women understand and agree on across the aisle. And we need to create the forums and the relationships that enable people uh, to talk to one another and learn from one another, um, even if they're not necessarily going to give up their partisanship, which, we're again, are not asking them to do. We just want to create an open and inclusive forum for learning. You said partisanship should not be a requirement for learning, and I think that that is phenomenal and kind of speaks to the spirit of sanity and what we are all about. Uh, back in Absolutely. back in October of 2017, All In Together announced a partnership with Gretchen Carlson and launched the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative, which is a program that is going into cities across the country and offering training for women all across the country. Can you talk a little bit about what that partnership is like, how it came to be, and more specifically, what that initiative looks like on the ground in different yeah. cities? Well, I was really intrigued by Gretchen's story um, in July of 2016 when the news broke that she was suing Roger Ailes for sexual harassment. I mean, we forget that Roger was one of the most powerful figures in politics at that point, really anywhere. I mean, he was head of communications for Donald Trump's campaign. He you know, was at the top of his game. And what Gretchen did was incredibly brave, and she really, in many ways, started what became the rest of the Me Too movement. I was intrigued by that, and I was blown away by her courage, and so I reached out to her. We had some mutual friends, and I just frankly wanted to get to know her and be her friend. I just thought it was so amazing. A friendship developed, and over that time, we, um, as we got to know each other, we started talking about ways in which she could use the settlement that she got in her lawsuit um, for good. And at first, it was really just about helping her think about um, worthy organizations. But then it started to become clear that actually we might be one of them. And, and the reason was that as we started to dig into what was happening, particularly for women who were really vulnerable in American society, women who had experienced domestic violence or sexual uh, assault or workplace harassment, that those women were much more likely to stay out of the political process and to be silent. And that if we could find a way to give those women a voice or give them an opportunity to speak up, that, you know, we could change things and change things on behalf of all women. And so 
the program is really magical because we collaborate. It, thanks to Gretchen's underwriting, um, we run this program across America. We collaborate with dozens and dozens and dozens of social services organizations in each of the cities where we work. Those organizations are serving vulnerable women in those communities. We also invite in then corporate women, professional women, to be part of that experience. So it's this sort of very like, inclusive circle. And we train women on the tools of political leadership. And, you know, I'll say that it has been really one of the humbling experiences of my life to work with this amazing group of survivors across the country, you know, who despite tremendous adversity and challenges in their life. I mean, things that I can't even imagine in some instances. The one thing that unites them is a desire to make things better for other women. And when you give them the tools and the resources to help them do that, magical things happen. And we're super proud of the impact we've had. We're incredibly proud of our partnership with Gretchen. It is changing people's lives. And I hope it's going to change the country. You know, one in three American women are victims of domestic violence or harassment. Uh, that's probably a low number. And that's unacceptable. And it's unacceptable that we should have one in three American women's voices being silenced because of abuse. Our, our goal is to give women the tools to speak up and to fight back and to fight back for themselves, but for others as well. And what do some of those more tangible tools look like? Well, so first of all, we do a lot that's sort of basic core civics. You know, what women say over and over again is that one of the things that keeps them on the sidelines is they just don't know it. They don't feel they know enough about how government works, about, you know, really some basic things about what our, how our democracy functions. And so we do focus a fair amount of time on like, that, you know, the three branches of government and what each one is responsible for and, you know, who, how to learn who your elected officials are and how to understand where they stand on things and what's happening in the local elections in your community. Community. But then we pivot really quickly to um, very actionable steps around how do you organize others around you uh, on behalf of an issue? How do you lobby? How do you write a letter to a member of Congress or call them or get to know an elected official in order to persuade them uh, to pay attention to the issues that matter to you most? So it's very tactical and tangible. You know, we certainly think we want more women running for office, and there are a lot of awesome sister organizations of ours that focus on training women who are ready to run. We're really getting people at a sort of an earlier stage. You know, women who have expressed some interest in leading or just making a bigger difference in their communities, but sort of don't know where to start. And we believe that by giving them really accessible and tangible tools to making a difference, even without maybe quitting your day job and running for office, but things that you can do in a half an hour, um, we think that makes a big difference in giving women, showing women a path to participation and a path to doing bigger and better things in their community. And we think ultimately that will end up, you know, inspiring more women to ultimately run for office. But, you know, we're trying to get them at hello is often what I say. You know, a lot of the women we work, work with have never seen themselves as political activists, have never been, never really participated or maybe did some small thing in their town, but just aren't sure what to do next. And that's really our sweet spot, is, is giving women a path to participation and to progress. Is there a, an area in terms of organizing these workshops across the country where you've seen more progress at the state level? Like for example, in Nevada, there's now majority women in, in yep. the state House and Senate, which is a first for the whole country. So are there any yep. interesting takeaways that you've learned just getting to know different communities across the country? Well, I think one of the, the biggest takeaway for me is just how much, and this is back to our previous point, is that how much women share across the political divide. You know, I think for women are women first. And I think that that 
is a uniting strength that every woman can understand the struggles of other women, at least on some level. And I do think that the other sort of unifying factor is what I said earlier, which is that most women really do want to use whatever privilege or possibility they have, however small, on behalf of other women or to make things better for the country or for their children. And and that's a really remarkable and special thing. And that is something that I've seen you know, with the farm women in North Dakota and the Facebook executives in in Silicon Valley, it's quite extraordinary how much women have in common in this country, despite our divisions. And and the divisions are real. You know, we don't agree on everything. There are a lot of issues on which we very deeply disagree. But in some core areas, the sort of fundamental belief that we should be equal and that women deserve equal treatment uh, in the eyes of the law and that should be representative in our democracy, these are things that women believe no matter who they are or where they come from. And that is, I think, a strength that we don't capitalize on enough. The mission of Sanity is to try to spotlight people who are working across the aisle. Some are to the left, some are to the right. Some are not active or involved in politics at all. But the kind of uniting factor is a concern for growing divisions that are affecting not just our our political world, but our everyday life. So this is kind of an effort that strips away some of that. It does. And I'll say that, you know, in my own life, and I've written about it very extensively in my book and elsewhere, in my own life, you know, some of the most rewarding relationships that I've built in my adult life have been with people that I really deeply disagree with politically. Um, You know, my relationship with a number of amazing conservative women who I admire and love, you know, has been a real eye opener for me and and has humanized the other side. Now, that does not take away from my deep disagreement with you know, for instance, a lot of what's happening in the current administration. Um, but I, what I have found is that there are people who are open to learning from one another and that that openness is really powerful. And, you know, one of my board members, who is my very close friend, you know, was one of Brett Kavanaugh's biggest supporters and is very close to him and deeply believes in his uh, innocence and in his uh, appropriateness for the Supreme Court. And you can imagine that I, as a more liberal person, you know, felt differently about that. But we were able to, I really do feel like I understood her perspective in a way that a lot of other women on my side of the aisle definitely didn't understand. And that's not an indictment of them. It's just to say that, you know, I think that it opens doors of possibility if you can put yourself in the shoes of another and understand it even a little bit. And I do think that our political process benefits from that. Um, I want to see more members of Congress uh, finding bipartisan solutions. I do happen to think that generally women tend to be more bipartisan. That's been proven out by the data, certainly in American politics. Not always, but in many instances. So, you know, I really try to model that. And I do think there's like a humanizing effect of getting to know people personally. Um, You know, a lot of people talk about how that kind of personal connection has been lost in contemporary Congress. You know, there are some exceptions to that. And like one of them is the congressional women's softball team, you know, where they don't play Democrats and Republicans. They play Congress against the press. Yes. And, you know, there's some really like, but people, Americans don't know about that. And, you know, I want more of them to see that. And I want more of them to recognize that there are really, you know, good, hardworking people who care about the future of the country, who, who are fairly selfless in their endeavor. Um, those tend to be the women leaders. But 
um, you know, I want people to see that that's a possibility. And I want us all to be challenging ourselves to understand one, one another. I mean, for me, hate is a red line. If you're going to discriminate against me or hate me because of who I am or or what I believe, you know, that's a non-starter. You know, I'm not engaging with neo-Nazis. You know, that's that's a red line. Uh, I'm Jewish. And, and even if I wasn't Jewish, I wouldn't engage with neo-Nazis because I think they're it, it's abhorrent. Uh, and so I do have some red lines. You know, I won't engage with a virulent racist. Uh, you know, there are some things where I draw the line. But but short of that, frankly, you know, I think we have to engage. And I think we do have to find ways to learn from one another. Yeah, and I think having that willingness to have a conversation with someone who thinks differently from you can open so many doors. A, a recent guest on Sanity started the American Congressional Exchange, which pairs Republican and Democrat members of Congress and helps facilitate visits to each other's districts. And in, yeah, that. it's wonderful in that travel experience, actual bipartisan legislation has has uh, come from it and has been signed into law. So I, there are some areas where people are starting to make a difference. If you were given a magic wand to change one thing in American politics, in our political process, from your viewpoint as, as leader of All In Together, what would it be? That literally every elected office, that there's a woman running for every open elected office in the country, or open or not, but every, I mean, there's about 400,000 of them. Uh, we should never have campaigns that have no women in them. Uh, that women stand up and petition the Congress uh, equal to their number, equal to men at the same rates as men. Uh, that we, you know, get engaged in every aspect of the democratic process. And that we do it not just because we're angry at any one party or president, but because we have a vision for the country that we want to see fulfilled and that we then hold our leaders accountable for respecting our views and for, um, you know, for, for supporting our interests. And I do want to see more women look for common ground on some of the areas in which we do agree. And I think there are a lot of them. Uh, and I, you know, I want to see us stand up and keep pushing, uh, pushing hard and relentlessly uh, for full and complete equal treatment uh, under the law and beyond. Um, so that we have a truly representative democracy. Right now, our Congress has 102 women in it, which is a record-breaking number. There are 89 Democrats, and this year there are only yeah. 13 Republican uh, women, yeah. which personally is is very upsetting to me. There were 25 in the last Congress. So yeah. I think that there's an incredible opportunity here to start actually reaching towards that magic, magic wand goal. Mm-hmm. With your work with the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative, have you been able to quantify some of the impact and effect that you are having? Yeah, I mean, you know, 90 plus percent of the people who have gone through our program have gotten involved and taken some sort of action to participate civically that they had not done before they came to our program. And that is obviously something we're very, very proud of. And, uh, you know, 90 percent of them see themselves as having a voice in a way that they didn't have before they came in the door. Um, and, and that matters. And so we want to, and we're going to keep tracking people and watching what they do. And we have an ongoing leadership initiative um, that st- keeps us very deeply connected to the alumni of our program and continues to give them support uh, throughout the year and beyond, which we're very excited about this year. Um, you know, to your point about Republican and Democratic women, you know, look, I do think I believe in a strong two party system. And I think it's really a shame that we don't have more women running on the right. You know, it's a particularly complicated time uh, for women on the right. Uh, You know, there were a number of women who lost in this cycle, you know, who I, even as a Democrat, will say I think 
were the kind of women that I would want in Congress on the other side. And, um, you know, I won't name them, but I think you can probably guess who they are. Yes, I probably can. Yeah, and I think a lot of them are victims of this administration, frankly. Uh, and that's unfair because I know a lot of the women who lost in this cycle were not the big, we're not the biggest supporters of the president, but got, you know, wrapped up in a very complicated dynamic in the Republican Party. And they, because of the system right now, it's extremely difficult uh, for women who do not support the president to get elected. So, and that's unfortunate because it was going the other way in a, in a very positive trend for a long time. You know, when Ed Gillespie ran the, ran the Republican National Committee, he recruited hundreds and hundreds of women, conservative women, to run uh, across the country. It was a very successful effort. But unfortunately, you know, the current administration and the leadership of the party right now doesn't seem to value that as much as they should. And I think they recognize that that is a big problem for them. You know, I applaud the work that Elise Stefanak is doing to apply to try to get more women on the right to run. I certainly applaud the PACs that are working hard to elect more conservative women. We have a two-party system. We should have women on both sides of that. And um, I may not agree with them on everything, but but I believe in it, and I want them there. And, and I, I don't believe politics is a zero-sum game. Uh, I think that it is possible to get better solutions with diverse views, and I, I wish that we could find a way to do that. Um, even in this polarized time. Yeah, well, and it's it's true. And I, I really wish that it wasn't. But we did see on election night, the loss of a lot of pragmatic, solution minded Republican women. And I'm, I am personally hopeful that we will be able to turn a, a chapter in terms of, you know, I mean, that problem. I but I think, unfortunately, I think for the Republicans, you know, it's very hard to get there without a major reckoning and on the president. This is not somebody who has been a big advocate for women. I mentioned the U.S. was 51st in the world for gender equity in 2014. Well, we're 98th now. And one of the reasons is because the president has almost no women in his cabinet. He's the, one of the lowest numbers of women in high appointed office of any administration of, for a generation. So, you know, it's not just the rhetoric of, you know, the very well-known stuff in the campaign. I think there's legitimate concerns about whether or not uh, the head of the party right now is actually serious about anything having to do with women's equity. It does make it really hard for women, uh, even on the right, uh, to find a place for themselves especially if they don't agree with the president. So, you know, for the sake of the party, you know, I really hope that there's, uh, that this trend reverses. And uh, there are a lot of great women out there, you know, who are right of center who I'd like to see in public office. Shifting gears a little bit, some of your founding sponsors, I'm curious to, to hear how you were able to bring them together with your mission and vision. So you had folks like Boeing yeah. and Facebook and P&G and EY and Deloitte. And so that's... Yeah. We're a little unusual in that we have very few... I mean, aside, you know, Gretchen obviously has been a great underwriter, but most of our funding comes from corporations. And I think it's not always easy, but I think that what has happened over the last number of years is that the kind of commitment that so many big corporations have made to gender equity you know, they've started to realize that, that the same thesis that I mentioned, which is that gender equity can't just stop at the company doors, that if you're investing in that, you have to invest in that for society. And so, you know, we've been really lucky to partner with companies that believe in our mission, that have been very supportive of us over a number of years, that, you know, frankly, a lot of executive women in those companies who, who love what we're doing because they personally care about it. 
So we've been very blessed uh, with this amazing group of sponsors. It's growing all the time. It gives us enormous reach. I mean, there are millions of women employed by these companies. If you put it all together, I think it's probably eight to 10 million women employed just in our 14 companies in the United States. It's a really extraordinary number. So we're grateful and we're appreciative that um, the corporate world has gotten so serious about gender equity and has been willing to support us along the way. You have spoken in the past about the importance of a role model, finding a role model, having a role model, having someone who can be a mentor. What advice do you have in terms of finding mentorship, perhaps across the aisle or mentorship that kind of in in spite of a more divisive time that we're in today, the benefits of having a mentor that maybe doesn't see eye to eye with you on everything? You know, I have a couple, I mean, I guess I'm of two minds on this. I mean, I do think that mentors matter a lot and that, you know, women mentors, especially, I mean, we, we do want to be able to see role models, see women who have broken the ground before us. And I, I do think that matters and it matters a lot, but, you know, I got to say that, you know, a lot of the women this year who ran, um, didn't have that or had very little of it and were willing to kind of step forward and take a leap, even when they were going to be the first or the only. And there are a lot of women who did that before us. And I think we need to be courageous enough to do that sometimes. I absolutely believe in the power of the crowd and the power of support of other women. Everything that I've ever achieved has been because of other women who have supported me. You know, not every woman has, but the ones who have have been had a profound impact on my life. I think that the trick is for women is that you we want our role models to be perfect. And I think that's a mistake. You know, no one is. And we want our role models not only to be great professionals, but we want them to be beautiful and have perfect families and be, you know, perfect husbands. And we set up this sort of impossible standard. And, and I, I, I think that's not fair. You know, look for the people that you want to learn from on specific things, but you're, you're you know, everyone's their own person. Um, and uh, you'll never find somebody who is everything that you, you know, every bit of the role model that you think you want. I mean, we're all human. And we're all imperfect. Um, but I certainly think we can learn from the mistakes of others and, you know, look to others to help us make a make an impact. Is there anything specifically that you've learned in forming and leading all in together for years now that has completely changed your mind or just changed the way that you've seen a, a specific issue? Well, on the more personal level, I mean, I will say that I have definitely learned the power of persistence and the relentlessness with which you have to pursue a vision. Nobody's waiting. You know, nobody says, oh, thank God you came along with this great idea. I've been waiting for this. Let me, you know, open all the doors for you. Like, that's just not how things work. Like, you have to really push and fight and, um, and do that pretty relentlessly. You know, there are things that have, you know, that I've been able to do, but they took me years and they took me years of rejection. Companies will sometimes say no to me three times. And, you know, it takes me six years to get them to give us a dollar. You know, it, I think it's easy to look around at the success of others and think, oh, that must have come so easily for them. And, um, and it doesn't. It, it really does not. I mean, we all have to just work incredibly hard and, and not take no for an answer when you believe in something. If you know you're right, you just keep going. And it doesn't mean you don't take people's advice, but like you have to, you have to have a level of commitment to what you're doing um, that inspires the commitment from others. And it, it's got to be pretty, pretty focused and sure and 100% and like well formed and well um, executed because otherwise people won't help you. So 
I mean, on a personal level, that's been a really big life lesson for me. Um, you know, I, I still have a long list of things I feel like I haven't accomplished yet, and I'm try and I'm pushing to achieve, and uh, I will keep pushing until we succeed. As we start to close, one question that we've asked every guest on Sanity thus far is, "What are you most optimistic about right here, right now, today?" You know, I really am optimistic about America in so many ways. Um, I am optimistic because I know that the vast majority of Americans believe in a constructive and positive future that is in an inclusive one, that respects the differences and the diversity of America, that recognizes the benefit that diversity confers on us economically and socially and uh, in every other way. And, and I think that is the majority of Americans, not a minority of them. And, and I do believe that they will rise up. And I do think that the arc of history um, is on the side of gender equity for us in America. But when I talked about that relentless pursuit of it, you know, I mean it. Um, women are going to be fighting for the rest of our lifetimes and beyond. And we need to stop complaining about the fact that we have to fight and just keep working at it and work harder and not take no for an answer. Um, that is what it is going to take. And I'm very optimistic that there is a whole generation of American women now who are not taking no for an answer and who are standing up to fight on behalf of all women. Looking, looking ahead, what are some of your big bucket items that you're hoping to accomplish with All In Together? We want to really train um, a substantially larger number of women. We want to try to connect to 100,000 women between now and 2020. And uh, I think we're going to do it. And we want the women that we work with to then go out and make change. And we're committed to supporting them and uh, to being there for them. And uh, we're really excited about the future. I think there's it's an inflection point for society. It's an inflection point for women. And we're going to be there uh right by everyone's side to make it happen. Well, thank you so much again for your time. And, and for those who are listening, how can, they, how can they connect? Please check us out at www.aitogether.org or on the internet, uh, you know, on socials at aitogether.org. And uh, we would love to have you join us, come to a program, support our mission, pass the word. It's up to all of us. We'd love for you to join. Thank you. Thank you so much, Audrey.